met Frank um, <coughs> at Kona some years ago, and uh, he's got a unique ministry of um, combining humour with the uh, sensitivity of God, and he draws you in, and at the end of what he says, um, you laugh a bit, you cry a bit, um, at the end of it, you sort of, something happens on the inside, and you get closer to Father, you get closer to Jesus, so. I'm looking forward to that today. Um, he's presently, currently works in um, Father Heart Ministries. Uh, it's a ministry that operates out of uh, New Zealand. And um, he loves uh, his sport as well. Uh, a good guy. He, um, if you want to know who's going to win the rugby league competition this year, just speak to him afterwards and he'll tell you. <laughs> anyway, Frank, if, welcome Frank to platform, I'd like to just pray for him. Uh, Father, we just bless our brother. We ask for your special anointing and uh, release uh, gifting in him to bless us. Uh, Father, we just thank you for his life. Uh, thank you for the body of Christ and uh, yeah, just uh, go for it, brother. Amen. I'm using this one here or that one? Or? Stereo. Excellent. It seemed like most all of the finals that were happening in the Commonwealth Games were all Australia and New Zealand. So I apologise that we didn't win all of them, but um, we tried our best. Oh, it's funny, you know. There's this, um, there's this uh, sibling rivalry that we have between Australia and New Zealand. But you know what happens when you go to another country? Mate, if somebody says something about Australians and when we're in uh, England, you know, it's all on. <laughs> and, uh, and it's the same thing. We've found that with Australians, if we're in the United States and somebody says something about Kiwis, you know, it's like, what, what, what? What'd you say? You want to you say that again? Want to see if you're still standing up after you say that again? But it's that thing, you know, we have, uh, we've developed over the years the ability to enjoy one another and have this, you know, this rivalry, but it's, uh, but it's ours, you know, it belongs to us. Nobody else can sort of cut into that, you know, get your own, get your own rivalry, you know. So the, uh, the Americans and Canadians say that, yes, we understand, we understand how that works. Uh, but um, I think one of the times I came to the to the base here was during the Olympic Games, and uh, when I arrived, everybody had already chosen their nation. They had their flags up. They had, you know, they were standing for the national anthem when their country came out. You know, when Turkmenistan was coming out, you know, one solitary person would stand and salute the flag, and it was wonderful. It was a great celebration of nations. I've always wondered what that's going to be like when we're in heaven, and um, and there's this gathering of nations. You know, it's going to be—I uh, don't know—somebody's going to announce it. I don't know who's going to be the MC, but somebody will say Nigeria. You know, and then all we we won't see anything. We'll just hear this drums and you know, sort of hoom hoom hoom, and over the hill will come Nigeria. And then, and the thing that occurred to me is that we're all going to go Nigerian. You know, it's going to be, yes, Nigeria. And then the next country will be announced. And then, you know, over the hill will come Namibia. And then everybody's going to go, Namibia. And they're going to say, what is the Namibian dance? What's the Namibian dance? But it's just, uh, it will be a celebration of all of those who are here. All of those who have come. All of those who have been called. All of those who have journeyed through life and have arrived. So um, it's, that's probably what I enjoy the most out of, uh, you know, Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games. It's the celebration of the nations. It's probably one of the, it's one of the closest um, things that we get to in order to celebrate that. So um, I just have uh, just a couple of things I want to share with you uh, this afternoon. First of all, I want to say thank you for having church at four o'clock. 
uh, you know, last somebody discovered there's a decent hour to have church. You know, um, mothers all over the world, you know, starting at 6 and 7 o'clock in the morning to get their kids ready for, for church. You know, I have some of my cousins are Catholics, so they're like, they're the 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock people. You know, um, just recently I've been speaking in Anglican churches, and they're the, you know, first service at 7.30, second service at 9, and I'm thinking, hmm, yeah, you know. And, and, I, and, the, and I, it just, I just think, you know, have they noticed that the first service only has five people in it? You know, the second service has 106 people, but the first one just has five, you know. These are the brave five that make it to that. And then we've got, you know, most of the services which are anywhere between, you know, 10 o'clock and, and midday and they have all those services. And then I just thought, you know, there's a whole afternoon that nobody's doing anything with. You know, it's, uh, you know, we've all gotten up, we've had breakfast, we've had lunch, we've done all the things that we need to do and we can just casually amble into church and be nice and relaxed and rested and, you know, and still go home and have daylight, you know put some shrimp on the barbie. You know, sort of makes sense, doesn't it? You know? So, um, yeah, so in light of the special occasion and, uh, you know, a four o'clock service, I should be done by about 7.30, so, in time for when everybody else is going to church. So. Um, <clears throat> when I saw all the children going out to children's service, you know, to, I just thought, oh, Rats, I thought they were all going to be here. And uh, the reason I thought that is because um, when, I, uh, when I was uh, coming to Wollongong, I just, I just had this recurring story just kept coming up. And I thought, oh, that'll be great. It must be that there are going to be kids there. And, uh, of course, there are. You. Um, you know, some of you have forgotten a little bit about your own childhood. It seems like such a long time ago, you know, especially like with me because I'm 23 years old and uh, after a while, you, you do, you know, it's kind of, you know, I have some memories, you know, selective memory of all the times when I won, you know. I remember all of those. I don't remember the others on purpose. But, um, but the story that I, in fact, there was two things and I just... I just was sitting here and saying, so Father, am I still, am I doing this? Am I, is this about, because the kids have just gone out, you know, so am I still doing this? And he said, oh yeah, yeah. You know, because I mean, he knows, I don't. It's just, you know, probably at the end of it, I might understand, oh yes, of course, that's how it works. Have you ever done that? You know, you prepared something and you get there and say, oh, no, that's not what it is at all. And then sometimes you don't prepare anything and then you get there and, you, and it's just obvious. Boom, that's what it is. So anyway, um, I have, uh, my wife and I, we had some, some friends who were, they were actually our friends and our pastors. Uh, and one day the pastor came to me and he said, Frank, um, I know that you guys work with Youth for the Mission. Um, I have a problem. He said, I have a problem in that my youth leader has left and I have three months until the end of the year. And uh, so I wondered if, um, if you're not doing anything, like you're not doing a, a discipleship training school or something, in this three months, could you and a couple of others come and just run our youth group until the end of the year? Which it seemed like a really simple thing, you know. It's a bunch of kids, it's three months, it's up until Christmas, and that's it. So, um, so we went home and just began to pray, and the strangest thing, um, the Lord spoke to me, you know, because I just was going to do it as a favor. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, yes, I want you to do it, but um, I had been reading the newspaper that weekend, and in the newspaper it advertised this thing from Air New Zealand, and it said this, it said, um, trips to Fiji, you can go one plus one. And so for every adult that paid a full fare, a child can go, and they would only have to pay one dollar for every year of their age up to 15, I think, or 18. So, you know, we had a whole bunch of kids, and I hadn't even met the kids yet. So I just, you know, as we were talking about this, talked with the team, and they all said, yeah, let's do this. Let's, you know, because, you know, once a YWAM, always a YWAM. We're always going on an outreach somewhere. We're going, you know. So um, the pastor, we went and talked to the pastor, said, uh, you yeah, know, we'd love to do it, um, but 
this is what we this is what we feel that the father's saying to us that we're supposed to take all these kids and go on an outreach to Fiji. So we went to meet these kids, and uh, and of course to make this announcement. First of all, with their youth group leader not there, they used to have youth group in a hall about this size, but it had no windows. It just had one door that we came in, and it had a solid wall on both ends. And so they used to play what they called murder basketball. It's, well, they didn't call it that, but it was obvious by the rules that that's what it was. It was kind of scrag, but they didn't have goals. They, um, you know, in scrags, well, when we played it, we just have, you've got to get the, whatever it is, the ball or something, under a chair at the other end of the room. However you do that is up to you. And the way that it goes is there are not teams. The way that teams are decided is whoever's got the ball, the rest of us have to kill them before they get to the other end. And so, you know, this is South Auckland. There is, a, you know, there is no money for resources. All they've got is a room with no windows. And uh, they've got a solid wall there and a solid wall here. So their idea was, it was kind of like basketball because they used the basketball. And they were just, as soon as whoever got the ball, the objective was kill them before they get to the other end. And when they got to the other end, as soon as they got close enough, they had to jump up and like they were dunking the ball. There's nothing there. There's nothing. There's just a wall. And they would go, bam! And then it was all Hollywood after that. It was like... So this was the rules of the game. And so we played for a little while. And um, one of the girls is in a wheelchair. And I just thought, oh, you know, this must be really hard for her. Disabled. She's sitting on the side there and... You know, if this is youth group, you know, she can't enter in. But about 10 minutes into it, I noticed that she is, she sits on the side, but she strategically waits until the person comes that way, and she would wheel out, and with the, you know, the, the footrests and that, she would whack like that. I thought, this is a South Auckland girl, you know. She said, I may be disabled from here, I said, but up here is working really good. It's, you know, I'm... I'm savvy. And so you would notice, you know, the, even when they're playing the game, they would avoid going that way because they know she's going to, you know, she just sits on the side like this. So we're, um, we're playing this game. The pastor says, okay, that's it. Uh, everybody sit down. I want to introduce to you, the, the, these are the guys that are going to be your youth group leaders now for the next three, three months. And they were, they were really not impressed at all. They said, you know, who are you? You probably don't even know how to play murder basketball, you know, it's just, so uh, we said, look, uh, this is us, uh, the pastor's asked us, and we, um, we just wanted to make two announcements, the first one is, this is the last night that we'll be playing this, uh, this is not what we do in youth group, and the second thing is, uh, in 10 weeks time, we'll be taking you to Fiji, and they were all, I'm not sure if they were upset that they weren't going to play murder basketball, or that we are now going to go to Fiji. So we talked about it with the pastor, and so we'd begun to process some stuff. Uh, I remember the kids went home, um, and so we had set up so that on the Sunday, we would be then introduced to the rest of the church and get to meet all the parents and make this announcement. You see, we're the new youth leaders, and we're going to take the youth group to Fiji in 10 weeks' time. So I'm standing at the front of the room there, uh, you know, everybody's kind of, hmm, 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 yes, no, yes, no. Went home that afternoon and got a phone call. One of the mothers on the phone said, who the hell do you think you are? She said, I, I, think I, I think I'm the youth leader for the next 12 weeks. And they said, no, no, who, who do you think you are? I said, do you understand that this is a low socioeconomic area and these kids, you are setting them up for disappointment? What's going to happen when they can't go? What's going to happen when there isn't enough money? He said, you do realize that most of all of these kids, they don't even have a passport, let alone an, a, a ticket to get on a plane. So we talked with her. I told her a little bit more about you know, this one plus one thing and how we'd already talked to a whole bunch of people and you know, it'll work out. But she was just so irate, you know, slammed the phone down. So I thought, well, we're off to a good start, you know. So far, the kids don't like us, and the mothers are not terribly happy either. Uh, about two hours later, I got a phone call. Same lady. She said, um, I, was just, I was just talking with my husband, and I just wanted to um, uh, apologize. I think I just got a little bit enthusiastic there, 
And um, she said, I, I really don't know how this is going to work out. She said, but, you know, we've got three girls in that youth group. And uh, we just, uh, we, we know we can't make this happen. So I said, look, it's okay. We're not trying to uh, set the kids up for a, you know, for a failure. So we uh, began with the kids and we did, we just did 10 weeks, mostly of car washes. We had a, we had a slave auction. It's probably not a good name, but, you know, we... We lined up all the kids in front of the church and we, we had people bid to buy the children to come and work for a day, you see. And, um, and the thing that we noticed is that none of the parents wanted to buy their own children. And they would say out loud, you know, we'd be bidding for this and nobody would be bidding. So we would look to the parents and the parents say, I don't want them. They haven't done a thing for me ever since the day they were born, you know, get somebody else to pay for them, buy them and see if you can get them to do something and so the auction just carried on. I think we made about $800 out of that auction. Um, but it was just, it was interesting because at that moment, the whole church bought into, we're going to Fiji. We began the process, of course, to uh, start getting uh, passports. And uh, so we didn't know, but um, three of the kids in the youth group, um, we need to go, we need to go to Wellington to get their birth certificate because they they didn't know who their father was. So we're, you know, we're encountering all these things that we hadn't even considered before. But one by one, we found who they, because you can't get a passport without a birth certificate, you see. So we got the birth certificates, we got the passports, we got the passports all together on the day before we left. So, you know, needless to say, we worked for 10 weeks. We had one camp, and our camp was at our house. We brought them to our house and we got some friends of ours to come and teach them how to do some songs and some drama. Because when we go to Fiji, we wanted to do our thing. And the interesting thing was, as they came, uh, I think we only had them for two, two hours, two and a half hours. We taught them three songs. Um, and uh, the most complicated of the songs has four lines. And, um, and that was it. We had a repertoire of three. And the reason was, after two and a half hours, they had eaten everything in our house. They had broken half the furniture by climbing, chasing, fighting, running, jumping, playing murder basketball and variations of that game. And so we, you know, by this stage, we had worked with them for maybe eight weeks. And we had just thought, man, is this even worth it? So at the end, um, I think we got, we went from Friday night, we got to Saturday afternoon and called up all their parents and said, come and get your kids. This is it. I know we're supposed to have them until Sunday, Sunday night when we do the youth service. That's why we've been rehearsing all this stuff. But we just can't, our house cannot endure having these kids here. Come and get them. Parents on the other, on the other end of the phone were, please, please, keep them, keep, please. This is the first time we've had a weekend by ourselves. It's been absolutely wonderful. Please keep them. We said, No. They're about, you know, they're starting to gnaw and chew on furniture and things like that. And we've, we've got nothing left. Furniture, it's all broken. And uh, come and get them and come and get them now or else we're just going to put them out on the street. And, you know, all the disgruntled, none of, them, none of them came and said, how dare you do this to our children? They all came and said, look, you know, we, we had a feeling this might happen. It's just, you know, is, uh, we call these kids the ho-ho kids because, you know, they're just... You know, murder basketball was kind of like the, you know, it was the, it was their whole mode of living and being. That's how you survived in that age group. So um, we uh, we got our tickets, we got our passports. The pastor came. Actually, the pastor and his wife came for the first little bit. They came for the first two and a half days. So we, um, we're all lined up, you know, we're going, we're going to the airport. They had a big farewell and the churches, you know, and the parents were like, I'm sad, but I'm happy. You know. <laughs> See ya. And, uh, and the amazing thing was all the money that we raised, I think we made $10,000 and it paid for everything because the kids were just paying $1 for every year of their age and we covered all of our ground fees. So we're, uh, we are now on the plane. This plane 
was, it was diverted from Auckland and had to fly to Christchurch. We had to stay overnight in Christchurch. And they had snow on that weekend. We arrived, so a bunch of South Auckland kids who have not experienced ever, ever, never seen snow. So we took them out in the snow, and because some of us have seen snow before, we absolutely wasted them with what we called murder snowball. <laughs> so um, it was just, it was our revenge. It was 10 weeks of, okay, your parents aren't here, we're going to kill you. Uh, this is... And uh, lo and behold, they discovered how to, how to handle snow, and so they fought back bravely. They all slept on the floor of the church that night. We went to the plane, on the plane, flew to Fiji. The only thing is, these kids have never flown before. So they all get their uh, boarding pass, and they were on the plane, and every one of them went and sat by the window. Like it's a bus, you see. And people got on and they said, oh, excuse me, I think you're in. And they said, no, I was here first. <laughs> and uh, to my surprise, almost all of the people said, it, no, that's okay. I'll just, what's your, I'll sit in your seat. You know. And so the kids are there. They are pressing every button. They are pushing this. They are, you know. One of them discovered that the seat goes back, you see. So the other kids are looking. They, they're, they're doing this. They're going. Where's the bar? There should be a bar here. You know, that's what. And uh, so they, um, they ate the plane out of peanuts and, they, and chips. They drank every can of Coke and Sprite and Fanta that there was. And, uh, and then the stewardesses were so relieved when we got off the plane. You know, so, that's good. That's good. Yes, yes, yes. Have a good time. Have a good time. We got off. We went through immigration, did all the stuff, and... Um, we arrived at our location, which was uh, at the Waiwan base in, uh, in Nandi, and uh, it's out in the sugarcane fields. So we, we thought that they had arranged transport for us, but, uh, and we thought that the transport was a bus, but it wasn't. It was a truck with a canopy over the top. And so they threw all the luggage in. The boys and the girls climbed in. I think we had, there was about 18 of them all together, and... Um, they were hanging off the side. They were sitting on the roof of the cab. They were climbing up on the top. They were trying to slide along behind, grabbing on the bar, on the tailgate. And so we spent all of our time. It was the most nerve-wracking trip. You know. So the Ho-Ho kids are living up to their reputation. We got to the base, which is in a sugarcane field. And uh, these kids would, you know, straight away, they dropped all their gear and raced down to the river, and they're diving in and swimming. We didn't have the heart to tell them that just about 100 metres up around the bend, there's a farmer there washing his cows. So we said, swim, swim, gargle, you know. <laughs> Knock yourself out, go for it. So they all came back, and, uh, and we got a message from immigration saying, um, we noticed that when you came in, um, there's a certain piece on the application that you have to fill out that you are intending to do open-air campaigning. And he said, well, we're really sorry to tell you this, but um, you can't do that. And so they gave us some reasons why, and uh, we said, but we had talked about, it was, we'd worked all this out beforehand. And they said, well, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, we can't give you that work permit, basically. So we called all the kids together and we said, well, kids, um, how many of you know what spiritual warfare is? And they said, yeah, no, we don't know what anything, what, what is spiritual warfare. I said, we know uh, car washes, we know slave auction, you know, we know uh, garage sale, we know all those things that we did, but we don't know anything about it. I said, well, it's really simple. It goes like this. It's when you know that God wants you to do something, but the enemy tries to stop you. So... He's trying to stop us. We've done all this stuff for the last 10 weeks, and now we're here, and what they're saying is you can't do it. So um, I said, so this is spiritual warfare. We need to pray and say, well, God, we need this work permit. Otherwise, we can't do anything. So the kids start to pray, you know, and uh, they pray like South Aucklanders, you know, like South Auckland kids. And I noticed that uh, the, the, the girls are really good. They're really, mm, oh, yes, oh, Jesus, dear Jesus, please, Jesus. Oh, lovely Jesus, could you please? We just have this little thing, you know, and Jesus, could you? So, 
And the boys are praying, but they're much more emphatic. You know, it's just, yeah, man, yeah, man, God, man, yeah, man, God, man, yeah, man, God, immigration, yeah, man, God, man. So that's how they're praying, and that's about the extent of their, you know, uh, their word range. So we're praying for about 20 minutes, and the phone rings. And they say, listen, uh, look, I don't know how this happened, but actually we've confused your team with another team. It's another group, and they didn't do the original application that you did. So if you want to come down now, we can give you your work permit. So I just said to the kids, listen, kids, I just got a phone call. We just got our work permit. And they went, yeah, man, God, man, yeah. <laughs> Raced down, got our work permit, jumped on another bus, and we were headed for Suva. And uh, so we got to Suva. We are all huddled together in the lounge, and I said to them, okay, how many of you know what intercession is? And they go, no, we don't know. We have no We know spiritual warfare and garage sale and you know, car wash and... So it's really simple. It's when you, you just basically what we want to do is just ask God, what does he want us to do? And then he'll tell us. Okay? So, you know, same thing happens. And the girls are, mm, yes, God. Oh, please, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just could you please just show us something? Mm, thank you. We love you, Jesus. And the boys are, oh, yeah, man, God. Man, God, you better show us something, man. Because if you show those girls something, but you don't show us something... <laughs> Oh, shame, shame on us, God, you know? Please don't let us be embarrassed in front of those girls because, you know, they think that the only reason we got our work visa is because they were praying, not because of us. So we're praying, and they all start to get little pictures and verses, and um, so we said, okay, so what did you get? And one by one, the girls are all very lovely, you know. I got John 3.16. He said, I got a picture of of a white building and green palm trees. I said, fancy that, palm trees in Fiji. Look at that. <laughs> Who'd have thought of that? You know, and they got all these different pictures and stuff. And um, one boy, he's the oldest boy, you see, and they've gone around the room and he's sitting right over here. And I said to him, so what did you get? And he said, oh, yeah, no, nah, nothing, nothing, nothing. But he said it in a something kind of way. So he said, no, 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 nothing. And the pastor who was with me, who really knows these kids in his very pastoral way, you know, you could just sense it in his heart. He just said, what did you get? <laughs> and the boy said, um, I got um, a warship. You know, I got a battleship. And all the girls started to laugh. You know, I said, my battleship's in a Bible? What are you talking about, man? So they're all really laughing. He said, I told you I got nothing. Told you. So we wrote everything down, and then we broke up into small groups, and they, we went and, and, and wandered around in Suva, you see, to look for everything that they got. And we found all of these different places. Some of them, even when they saw them, they said, that's it, that's the, that's the building, that's what I saw. I saw all those trees in the line. So we're just ticking all the boxes. They're all very excited, you know, here we go, this is it. So we came home, and... Um, the next day, because the pastor's wife was only going to be with us for two and a half days, the next day she has to leave, so we all pile on the bus to take her down to the, to the main bus stop that's going to take her to the airport. So we all get on the bus, the bus comes around, and, and of course, uh, oh, so you do know that uh, we have the girl in the wheelchair. She's come with us. She's one of the 18. We have to practice picking her up and carrying her and putting her on the bus and holding up the wheelchair and hanging it on the back of the bus uh, but she's always the last one on and first one off, you see. So, um, but what we discovered was when the boys would get on the bus, they would always go and sit in close to the front. And the reason they would sit there is because in Fiji, the, the buses don't have windows, they have roll-up plastic curtains. And most of the time, they're up. So uh, what the boys would do is they would sit up the front and they would go... And you could hit people in the back of the bus. Usually the girls, That's what, that was the whole idea. So in uh, one time, we, you know, we only discovered this when they went like this, and it hit one of the men in the back of the bus. They said, hey, 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 and the bus driver saw in, in the mirror, he saw the boy go out the window. He said, hey, you boys, stop your spitting in my bus. So apparently it's not the first time he's caught people doing that. So we're... Um, 
you know, I was, I was really, I uh, had mixed emotions about the girl in the wheelchair, but as we're pushing her, and the boys, the kids had to have turns at pushing her, so as we're pushing her up the hill to the bus, and um, I noticed that there were some little Indian children in the house as we were going by, and this girl in the wheelchair is going, like that. And, uh, but the guy who was pushing her wasn't paying attention, and the, the right wheel went off the curb and hit the road, and she went out onto the road, grazed her elbow and her knee, and she was crying on the ground, you see, but I had already seen her doing that thing. So I came up to her and I said, so, that is what happens when you are cheeky to those children. You think God is not watching you. He is watching so I picked her back up and put her in the chair, and we headed off to the bus. We are, we're in the bus. We're coming up, you know, and all the kids are hanging out the window, and we come up around the top of the hill, and we're looking right down into the harbor, and sitting in the harbor is the biggest warship you have ever seen. It is probably five stories higher than the highest building in Suva. It's absolutely humongous. And the 17-year-old boy, who's the eldest boy, he goes, My worship! <laughs> the kids are just ecstatic. We, the bus barely gets to the bottom of the hill. We're trying to say goodbye to the pastor's wife, but they are off. They're headed down the wharf, heading for that ship. You can't help but see it. So they are running, and, and you know, so we're saying goodbye to the pastor's wife, and then there's only me and the girl in the wheelchair. So I quickly took the wheelchair off the back, opened it up, jumped into it, and I said, hurry up, come on, we're going to be late. And she just sat there and went. So I said, okay, picked her up, put her in the chair, and we ran down to the wharf, and the kids are just going nuts. The warship! It was like the one thing that wasn't ticked off on the list. I asked the Lord what we should do, and he just said, nothing. He said, just wanted to show them that I can and that so can they. So we went on and had a look. Man, it was an amazing vessel. Just incredible. The 17-year-old was standing there, and all the kids are taking photos. And he started stopping. He said, hey, 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 you laughed at me. He said, You're not going to take a picture of the ship. This is my ship. This is my ship. I'm not going to take any pictures of you and my ship. This is my ship. Go and take a picture with your palm tree and your white building. He, was, he wasn't terribly impressed with them. We went home that night. We're, we're, everybody's on such a high. The next morning we gathered together and said, okay, guys, now we need to ask God what does he want to do. We found all these places. What are we going to do? So we began to pray and said, okay, here we go. We headed off into town. And it was the, um, I'm not sure if it was the Hibiscus Festival or the Buller Festival, but it's a festival. Hundreds of people. We didn't even know what was happening. Hundreds of people on the street. We come walking down the hill, and there we see a little caravan with a, you know, a satellite dish and some aerials, and there is a guy sitting inside, and it seems to be he's talking to somebody else outside who is playing the guitar and singing into a mic. So I went up to him and said, what, what, what is this? And he said, well, this is the live radio. It's going right across the country, um, but we're doing it for the festival. So I came down and I said, um, um, would, you, would you mind if, if, could we come on the, you know, well, we've, got, we've got maybe two or three songs that we could sing, you know, that's all we could sing, just two or three. <laughs> so we come, you know, and they line us up and apparently this is the English program. So we get on and we're, you know, everybody's lining up like they're on TV, it's going you know, bring, here we go, and we sing our first song and our second song and our third song, and that was it. And the guy said to us, listen, the, the radio program will change over, so this is the, in the morning, but at lunchtime, they're going to have the Fijian program. So if you come, just tell them you're already on and come again. So we wandered around, talked and prayed with some other people, came down at 12 o'clock, and I said, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, we were on earlier this morning, we're a traveling international ministry team. Um, we're just here from New Zealand just for, you know, the next week or so. wondered if we could just, you know, just sing just a couple of songs. And, and uh, he said, sure, that'll be fine. So we lined up again, but we, you know, we shifted ourselves around so it looked like a different group. 
And uh, we sang number three, then number one, then number two. Just a little bit of variation, you know. And, uh, and he said, listen, if you come back at six o'clock, it will be the Hindi program. So we came back. By the time we came back at six o'clock, oh, excuse me, we are here. We are international um, traveling music ministry. Uh, we have, yeah, we've made CDs and movies and things. And, uh, but we have just one slot left at six o'clock. We wondered if we could just, just fit in, you know, just before we do our last video recording out on one of the islands. And they said, sure, you can do that. So we, we sang our songs and um, we went live. Just before we did that, we had gone and we'd stood in the middle of the, this huge park. I think it's called Sukuna Park. We're standing there and the parade is going by and they just finished. It was like that was the end of it. And so there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people standing there and the parade is finished. That's the tail end of it. It's just gone by. So I said to the kids, okay, so are you ready? And they went, hmm. I said, this is it. Remember that permit that we got? This is it. So I strummed the guitar and all of these families just turned around. And of course, they're looking at a bunch of kids, you see, and there's this little girl in the wheelchair. So now they're really intrigued. We start singing our first song. They realize that we're not Fijian. It's pretty obvious just looking at us. And they all gathered around and they started throwing money, especially towards the girl in the wheelchair. And the kids are singing, there's a river of life coming out from me. Makes the lame to walk in the blind. And so they're all up and down. They're all reaching for these $1.20, It was an amazing time. At the end, all the people came in just to talk to us. And this one guy, elderly Indian guy, long white beard, long white clothes, comes up to the girl in the wheelchair and he says, and what do you think you're doing? Who told you that you can come here and preach this gospel? And the girl said, she just burst out laughing. She said, I know, we didn't think we were going to come either. <laughs> we had to get a work permit and all that kind of stuff. But before that, we were doing slave auction and car wash. And, you know, we had a camp, but we had to go home because we weren't very good, you know. And she just starts to tell the whole story. The guy is so bamboozled, he just went away, you see. I tell you, we had opportunity. We went to all the things all the places that, um, that we had seen in our intercession. It was the most shambolic outreach I've ever led. And uh, when we came back, we arrived back in Auckland, and we all know that once we go through those doors, once we've got our luggage and we go out through those doors, all their parents are going to be there, and that's it. Youth group is over for the year. This is the culmination. And three of the girls came up to me and they said, um, Mr. Naya, first time I've ever been Mr. Naya for the whole 12 weeks. Mr. Naya, we just have a question for you. Um, uh, we just want to know, um, where are we going next? <laughs> and I just said, well, have you got a passport? And they all, we are, like FBI, we've got passports. They're opening up to the picture, and there, you know, and there are two stamps in there, you know, one to one to get into Fiji and one to get back into New Zealand. It's like you know, I'm I'm a legitimate bona fide passport holder now. I said, well, you know, if you got one of those, you can go wherever you want to go. I met one of the girls, probably 15 years later. She was 30. She's still in a wheelchair but she's a teacher to children of special needs. She's been doing it for probably 10 years. She said she lives on her own, uh, in her own apartment with other flatmates. And the reason uh, when I saw her, she said, I've been wanting to talk to you. She said, because uh, I wanted to know, have you got a disabled DTS yet? I said, no, I hadn't been, even been thinking about that. She said, well, you should think about it. I've been writing to some other bases and asking them why they don't have a disabled DTS. She said, and if they're, if they're a bit shy on leaders, um, I'll lead it. I said, have you done one? Have you done a DTS? She said, no, but I know how to, I know how to be disabled. And, um, <clears throat> and they don't. See? I thought, who was this girl? 
I made the mistake of giving her my, my uh, cell phone number, and so she texted me a couple of prophetic words, you know, just a couple of days later. So I, I was really cautious about replying, so I didn't, because the, the words were too accurate. But stay away from people in wheelchairs, especially the ones that will mow you down. So, um, so why tell this story? Why tell this story? I've been considering more and more, having been in Youth for the Mission for the last hundred years, um, one of the things that the Lord has been saying to me in this last, this past season of life is, uh, Frank, I want you to go back and look again. I want you to go back and look at all the things, and especially some of the things that have been significant moments for you, and I want you to look again. It's just that I don't want you to look from here. I want you to go back and look from here. Paul has this wonderful prayer that he prays in Ephesians 1. And he says, he says it like this. He says, um, he says this, this prayer I pray often. I pray it always. I pray it constantly. It's not just a one-off prayer. So um, let me just bring it up so that I don't give you some Frank Nyer version of it. But it just, uh, it just struck me, the nature of of why God speaks to us this way. So it's, uh, it's Ephesians 1 and verses 17 and 18. I've highlighted it on my phone because if you've tried scrolling on a phone, just impossible. You end up having to read it all. It says this, I keep asking that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And as I was reading that, you see, one of the things that stood out to me was I, I probably was having as much difficulty with that group of young people as the disciples were with all the other children. They were chasing them away. They were saying, just, just get out of here. This is adult stuff. This is grown-up stuff. Don't come and annoy him. This is, do you know who this is? This is Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and he said, leave them alone. He said, let them come. Yes, they may be all sticky with toffee apple and they may have dribbled some stuff and it's still on their T-shirt and all that kind of stuff. But he said, but you know what? This is who the kingdom of God belongs to. And I thought, so Father, why did you say that? Why does the kingdom of God belong to them? And he said, it's simple. It's simple. He said, because children see me. Children see me and they see me from here. I remember trying to teach spiritual warfare and intercession to a bunch of adults. It takes you a week and every verse in Scripture that you can possibly conjure up. You have to give illustration. You have to give reason why. You have to give the ABC of intercession and spiritual warfare. I talked to these kids for probably 15 minutes. And you know what? They close their eyes and they open their heart and they go there. And the amazing thing is God speaks. And time after time, it just, it just shows up. There's that building. There's those trees. There's that warship. Tell you what, when we came around the corner and I saw that warship sitting in the harbor, just something in me just exploded. Wow. We thought, I mean, because you can't fake a warship, you know. Oh, I think what he meant was, you know, you just can't. You know, that 17-year-old went away with one thing absolutely confirmed in his heart. God can speak, and I can hear him. All of those kids. The thing is, you see, for them, the, the height of their week, the biggest thing that they had to look forward to was a room that has no windows, that has a solid wall at both ends and the opportunity to kill one another. 
even death by wheelchair. But when they came back, they said this, so where are we going next? Because we've just discovered that we can. That there is a God who will even engineer the airfares on one particular airline and make it possible for you to get there. The parents were really blown away by the fact that their children, some of them were getting to do things that they had never got to do themselves. They'd never been on the plane. Suffer the little children to come unto me. You see, what it says is unless you become like a little child, not childish, but like, childlike, simple, you see. Unless you become like a child, it says you won't see it. In another version it says this, it says, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter in. In Matthew 11 it says this, for these, it was God's good pleasure, it says, for him to hide these things. These things have been hidden from the wise and the prudent, but to reveal them to little children. Little children. I love the story of the emperor's new clothes. Little kids just have the ability to say what they see. I believe that in this, uh, in this newest of seasons, whatever the season is for you, that all of the seasons are enhanced by our capacity of heart to be more and more childlike. When I came home from there, we, were, we went on to leading another DTS, and, and, uh, and my children have, uh, have been around adult discipleship for a long time. And at the end of this particular school, they were going to join a ministry called King's Kids and go and do an outreach just with all of their friends. It had been planned for a long time, but the leader of the team, um, the leadership, something came up in their family and they weren't able to do it. And it was just days before the event. And my, my wife and I were just like those parents. Oh, can't wait. Oh, go. Yes, go. You know, this is going to be the most fabulous two weeks. You're going to be out there and we're going to be here. And when we found out that, they, that the outreach would be cancelled because they had no leaders, my children came to me and they said, Dad? They said, what? I can see that look in your eye. I know what you're going to ask me. And I'm just thinking, you know, two weeks off, children's outreach. Two weeks off, children's outreach. And they said, oh, Dad? And you know what? You know what I heard for the first time? I wasn't planning on hearing this, but this is what I heard. Dad, we always have to do the things that you do. Because you're the grown-up. You don't even ask us, we just we have to go. The house I live in now is number 62. My children have traveled and lived everywhere. But you know what I heard for the first time? They said, Dad, would you do this for us? We know this is not about you, but we need you to help make this happen for us. This is our outreach. It was amazing. We went, and I saw God speak to them about all the same things that I'd seen with these other guys. And I thought, these, these are my kids, and they're hearing God. Let them come. Make way for them. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Let them learn early in life that they have a God that speaks. He loves, he provides, he blesses, he opens doors. He makes a way. He designs some things that are specifically made for you. They're not adult things that are dumbed down. They're actually designed for you so that you can meet him, and he can meet you. And the good thing is that if you train up those children in the way they should go, then afterwards, when they're old, they will remember what it's like to be a little boy 
and to be a little girl. So, can you put your heart on your... No, don't do that. Put your hand on your heart. It could be dangerous, you know. Many a slip twixt the cup and the lip. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. There are many gifts that you give to us. So, Father, Father, would you give back to us the heart of a child, the simplicity to hear you, to see you, to receive from you, to live and walk like they do because they have, they have the Father on their side. He is speaking and showing and revealing to little children because they live from the eyes that are in their heart. They see, they hear, and they respond from that place. Thank you, Father. And for all those things that have been hidden from us because we are grown up, Father, restore that back to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And may the gift of childlikeness lead us on in this newest of seasons. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Just one thing in closing, I want to encourage you when you pray for your children, um, don't pray adult prayers over them. One day you're going to do this, and one day you're going to do that. Pray child prayers over them. That today they can be loved. Today they can be free. Today they can be whole. Today they can be seen. Today they can be heard. Today, today they can be valuable. Not one day. Let them, uh, if they love their childhood, they'll love growing up. Because we're just big kids, really. Except when we become adults and all, we get burdened by the weight of responsibility. But we have a father who understands. And even us says, big grown-up children. He says, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can show you how to walk like that. But, uh, but don't unteach your children. Don't keep them pressing or encouraging them to take responsibility. Love has this incredible capacity. It enables us to do many things. One of them is to live and to enjoy life. And, you know, there are some days I don't make my bed either. Bless you.